It is good to be able to come together and to celebrate the deep love of Jesus, His kindness to us, His grace that He has bestowed upon us. And that is really our focal point. This is Vacation Bible School Celebration Sunday. You heard the kids quote Psalm 145.1, I will enthusiastically praise my God and King. Our theme verse today, however, is the greatest, I think, simplest, clearest gospel message that's recorded in one verse in Scripture. And it is one that's familiar to us, but one that I want to make sure that we have a grasp of, not only for our own understanding, but in order that we might be able to share it with others. One of the privileges that we have as a people of God is being those who are commissioned with sharing forth, proclaiming, speaking to others the good news of the gospel of Christ. We're very familiar, and by the way, uh, if you have your listening guide, I would encourage you to go ahead and take it out. You may want to take notes. It's a good way to follow along. And uh, if you are looking at the listening guide, it's going to look like I made a typo. As a matter of fact, I put this down in this order, and it was corrected two or three times before I said, no, leave it wrong. <laughs> it's, it's not really wrong, but it's numbered 1342. 1342. And the reason that is that is because I want us to look at this verse, and I want us to look at the first part of this verse first, then the last part of this verse second, and then we'll come back and look at the middle two sections of the verse as we. So we move into this great and glorious text. The context for John, chapter 3, verse 16, is there was a man of the Pharisees, a religious leader, very righteous in his own self. He followed the law, uh, the law very well. And his name was Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was exalted. He was high up there in the religious uh, organization and structure of the day. He came to Jesus at night, and the reason he came at night, a lot of people say, I think so, is because he's coming seriously, he's coming honestly, and he doesn't want his compatriots who are against Jesus to know that he's seriously inquiring. But this rule of the Jews came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi or Rabbani, which was a, a title of honor, he said, oh, we know that you're come from God, for no man can do the miracles that you're doing unless God is with him. So he obviously has this understanding that Jesus is a special person, that Jesus has the blessing of God, but he doesn't know the full scope yet of exactly who Jesus is. It's really interesting to me how Jesus responds. When this guy comes, and he comes seeking legitimately more information about who Jesus is, Jesus immediately tells him to do something he can't do. Very, very last thing to you, you must be born again. Now, born again made no sense. How can a man be born again? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus, again, begins to unpack this. And he, what he's pointing out to Nicodemus is that Nicodemus has a problem. And the problem's not his effort. He works hard to be a good man. The problem's not his commitment. He commits to his religion and he's, he's rolled up his sleeves and he's got this level of righteousness that most people don't have. And Jesus is pointing out that all of that work and all of that effort will not, cannot save you. It's not enough. Our best effort is insufficient to know God and to know God as God intends. And that's why Jesus came. And so in this context of Jesus talking to Nicodemus, 
he sums up, he, he, he gives him some illustrations and Old Testament references that Nicodemus would have been very familiar with. And then he sums up by simply saying, for God, and it, by the way, this isn't the summary. You need to read not only 16, but 17, 18, 19 for a fuller, fuller picture. But in verse 16, he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And let's just start there. The first thing that he points to is our creator God. We have a God who is the one who created the heavens and the earth. The first thing that we read in Genesis chapter 1 is that God spoke all things into being. And if he's the creator, he's the boss. He's the one who made us. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. uh, Hebrews 11.3. We see again and again the... The, the declaration that all things that exist, exist because God created them. And God reveals a lot to us about who he is. And one of the things that he reveals to us is that he's just, he's holy. There's no wrong in God, there's no sin in God, there's nothing incomplete in God. God does not develop. God is perfect and holy. He spoke the world into being and because of that, the earth is the Lord's. Everything belongs to him and the fullness thereof. And all they that dwell therein. We have a creator God that, that we are responsible to. That we can be grateful for the creation. But he's just and he's holy. And that's important to note. And it's also important to note that he's a God of love. For God so loved the world. Now let's talk about the world. Because we come to the end of this. And now I want you to jump down to the fourth point, which is point number two on your outline. God is not willing that any should perish. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This creator God created man and woman. You remember the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and how that they fellowshiped with God and had perfect fellowship with God. It was the world as God intended. And yet... God gave them a rule. He told them that there was one thing they should not do or could not do. One rule. One. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did Adam and Eve do? They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They broke God's law. Now for you vacation Bible school participants this year, do you get in trouble when you do something your mom and dad says not to do? And I see a number of nods. I see a teen, teenagers nodding as well. Uh, when God, when our authority, when our holy and just God gives us this is right and this is wrong, and we step across that line and we rebel and we disobey, that's called sin. It's called transgression. And the Bible says that there is a penalty and a consequence to sin. And let me just... Let me share with you some things that I think are very important that we know. There are a lot of bad things that happen in our world. We are in the process of recovering from or out and then kind of back in resurgence of a pandemic. There are people who get sick. There are people who die. There are people who have accidents. There are a lot of bad things in our world. And sometimes when we look around at the bad things in our world, we think, well... God could do something about this. God could fix it. God could change it. And if God really loved me, he would make my life easier. We have to recognize and realize that what the Bible says about bad things that happen, 
sometimes bad things happen because of the choices that we make. When we sin, then we experience the negative consequences, the bad consequences of our sin. But not only that, other people experience the bad consequences of our sin. And when we have a person who's making bad choices here and one there and one there and one there and we live in a fallen world, we live in a world that the Bible says is under the curse. We live in a world, it's not that God cannot intervene. God has intervened and God does intervene and he knows things that we do not know and he's trustworthy and we can depend upon his love for us. But we need to recognize that sin has consequences. It has consequences in our everyday life and it has eternal consequences. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means that sin earns eternal punishment. What God told Adam and Eve in the garden is the day you eat of it, you will surely die. They didn't physically die, but their intimacy, their relationship with God was broken at that point and death entered the world, physical death, but also eternal death. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, when he's talking to the Jews, God speaking, he says, Behold, your sins have separated between you and your God. Now, God created us to find joy in Him, to trust Him, to walk with Him, to, for Him to be our strength for, and, and our peace, and for us to be in relationship with Him. But because of sin... Because of sin we inherited, because we, we get, we've, we're just like our parents, we're just like Adam and Eve. But the Bible says, as by one man sin entered the world, so death has passed on to all men, for all have sinned. So because of our sin nature, but also because of the choices that we make, our sin separates us from God. And if a person stops there, that's not good news. We have a creator God who is holy, he's just. He loves us, and yet we have been separated from God by our sin. And so what is the remedy? And the answer to that, of course, is found in John 3.16 and found throughout Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. The gospel is that Jesus is the Son of God. We're studying on Sunday the life of the Apostle Paul, and we haven't got to his name change yet, so he's Saul, where we are. Saul has just met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He saw Jesus, and it blinded him. He hit the ground. Uh, God converted his soul. He went on into the city of Damascus, and there he sent Ananias to him to speak into his life, to help him with this new change this massive transition that's taken place when he got saved when Saul was able to see again and Saul was trusting in the Lord he went to those same synagogues where he was going on behalf of the Jews but now he's going on behalf of Christ and now he's going to tell them the things that I was coming to tell you I was all wrong here's the truth and he began to prove to them that Jesus is the Son of God. And that is the gospel message. The Bible says there's only one way that we can be saved. And that is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one Savior, one name. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. What does that mean? How in the world can this happen? I have a twin brother identical twin we look very much alike 
And when we were in school, I was in elementary school at Bogachetta Elementary School in South Mississippi. And we had a playground. This was probably fifth or sixth grade. And we had a playground for the little kids, the first, second, and third graders. And we had a playground for the bigger kids, the fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. And uh, one day, I got called to the principal's office. The principal is named Mr. Hux. My dad's a pastor, and Mr. Hux was a member of our church, so I couldn't get away with anything. Anytime I got called to the office, dad was one of the first to hear about it. But I got called to the office, and Mr. Hux said, where were you during recess? I got a report that you weren't where you were supposed to be. And I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say because I wasn't where I was supposed to be. (laughs) I had snuck off school and went down to the dime store half a block away and bought a hundred pieces of gum for one dollar. Anybody remember those days? Some of you remember those days. I bought a hundred pieces of gum for one dollar. He shoved them into a paper bag, and I went back, and I was the most generous guy. I was the most popular guy in the sixth grade, as long as I had gum in the bag. We were handing out gum. But I didn't want to admit to Mr. Hux that I had been off campus. So I said, I, I, I don't know. And then Mr. Hux interrupted, and he said, well, some of our teachers told us that you were on the wrong playground that you were on the first, second, and third grade playground, not on the fourth, fifth, and sixth grade playground. You were on the wrong playground. And I was like, okay. (laughs) I'll take it. Unfortunately, and again, this was another day, okay, that accounted for two licks. Anybody know what two licks mean? Okay, that accounted for two licks. That means he took out a paddle, had me lean over the desk, and he swatted my rear end twice. Well, here's the funny thing. I got back to class and told my brother what was happening, and he goes, it was me on the wrong playground. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you rascal. I could have got away with this free and clear, except you got caught, and I took his punishment. That's, that's a true story. Um, no exaggeration there. All right? It really happened. But here's, here's the point I want to make. I have broken God's law when I am angry and self-centered and when I say something that's not true, when I want something I don't have, I covet, when I get hateful in my heart towards someone else, even thinking hateful thoughts, uh, there, there are many ways that I transgress God's law and there's coming a day called judgment day when I'm going to go to the principal's office and he's going to ask what about this the difference is he knows and there's a penalty associated with sin and the penalty is death punishment eternal it's, it's the wrath of God against sin it's against sin because sin's harmful to us and he loves us But it's the wrath of God against sin. And here's the good news. Jesus Christ did no sin. God's Son did no sin. He didn't think a wrong thought. 
He didn't do a bad behavior. He didn't transgress God's law in any way. And as such, he's qualified as a human who is righteous, and yet, while still God, to pay the penalty for sin. And it's like he went to the principal's office, and he said, he's guilty, no excuse. But I'm not, and I'll take his place. All right? And so because of his love toward us, that's when we talk about Jesus died for us, the song that we just sang, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. He died for us. He died for us. That's what that means, that Jesus took the wrath of God against sin so that we don't have to, so that we don't have to. He gave his only begotten son. Jesus lived without sin. Jesus died to pay the penalty for sin. And Jesus rose for us. He rose again. Which means that he has life, he is life, and he gives life. So how do you and I have this love relationship with God when sin separates us? How do we do that? Well, we do what the Bible tells us to do. We repent and believe. We repent and believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever believes in him, repentance is when we turn away from our sin. When we say, I have not done a good job in this life, or I have broken God's law, and I recognize it, and I understand it, and I recognize that Jesus is the Savior, and I need to be forgiven, and we ask God to forgive us, and to wash us, and to cleanse us. And we turn from sin. Belief is faith, and is putting our life in God's hands, where we trust Him, and depend upon Him. Repentance is what we turn from. Belief is who we turn to and we give our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning on this Vacation Bible School Celebration Sunday, a very simple verse that we're familiar with, but the greatest truth that you can ever know. I know people of all ages from six years old, excuse me, six years old, all the way through 70, 80, 90 years old, who have been exposed to this truth and as a, response, as, a, as a result of hearing of the love of God and the faithfulness of God and the provision of life to His Son, Jesus Christ, they were convicted of sin. They became aware that, yes, this is talking about me. And they were drawn to God. They were convicted of righteousness, that Jesus Christ is the only way. And then the Holy Spirit made them alive. They responded in repentance and faith and God made them new. Our Sunday study that we'll pick up next week is a massive change in the life of a man named Saul. He was a terrorist. He imprisoned Christians, he beat Christians, and he killed Christians. And when he came to Christ, he got a new master, he got a new mission, he got a new message, he got a new power, a radical transformation. And that's what God longs to do for you and me. Now many of you, you know this verse and you know this truth. Aren't you glad that God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that when I believed in him, I don't have to worry about perishing. I now have life eternal. If that is your testimony, would you just say amen? Amen. amen. Isn't God good?